Take your Bibles now and open up to 2 Peter chapter 3. This is our 11th teaching out of 2 Peter. This will be our final. We're going to finish the book today. Three chapters. And it's Peter's heart. Peter's lived a, a long life. Jesus actually prophesied Peter's death. He said, hey, Peter, when you're old, and he told him I was going to die. Peter didn't die young. As a matter of fact, when he was imprisoned by Herod in Acts chapter 12, he was still young. He was set to die the next day. The Bible says that he was sleeping, not worried about it. He knew his time hadn't come. He was invincible until his time was up. So were you. You're invincible. God has seen your last day already. You don't have to fear it. You don't have to worry. You don't have to wonder. You can walk in confidence. And not only in confidence, but you can walk in purpose. Where Pastor Pete, Grandpa Pete here, in his last letter, his last hurrah fulfilling Jesus' commission on his life, Pete, feed my sheep. Okay, I'm going to feed them. And in Acts chapter 2, he stood up and he preached a sermon and he fed the sheep. And in Acts chapter four, he stood up and he preached a sermon. He fed the sheep and 3,000 were saved and 5,000 were saved. And he, he tended the sheep and he fed the sheep. And, and as he began to wind down his days and the check engine light came on and he was coming in for a landing. And he knew time was short. He wrote Second Peter after he wrote First Peter. And he tells us in chapter three, this is the second letter I've written to you, both in which... I've tried to stir up your minds, your, your pure minds, by way of remembrance. I'm just reminding you of the stuff you already know. I'm fighting for you. I'm fighting for you. You ever forget what's going on? Even as a believer, you just forget what's going on. You see something in the news and you just forget that, you know, what's going on. Or you look at your finances or the doctor calls or, or, or you, just, you just forget what in the world's going on. And Peter says, yeah, I do too. We all do. We need to be reminded, stirred up, encouraged. I've been doing a lot of weddings lately. I have a wedding next Saturday, the Saturday after that, and the Saturday after that. I did a wedding the Saturday before yesterday. I did a wedding, two weddings the Saturday. Just weddings. People are getting married. And I was meeting with the couples. I do premarital counseling with the couples. And as I sat with one of the couples recently, I just, I talked. I'm pretty good at talking. I should get a job talking. <laughs> and sometimes these couples are real young and they're intimidated, and so I just keep talking and s s scare them, you know, and get them all fired up. And, and I, at one point in, the, the, in this recent session, I talked, 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 and then I finally said, hey, what are you, how are you doing? <laughs> what do you think about any response, anything at all? And the bride looked at me. She said, everything you're saying is so right, and it's, it's, it's meeting me right where I'm at, and it's adjusting me. It's exactly what I needed to hear. And she went on to say, kind of like a punch to the face. And it was so cool. I was like, really? Okay, because I didn't know what was tracking with those, you know, those eyes you were giving me. And it's the truth given to sons and daughters of God that are in the battle, that are on our journey. We're on mission, and we need to get reminded and instructed because we forget. 
And if you're a believer here, you're at home watching or wherever you're at right now, and you hear the good news, the word of God, the instruction of God, the correction of God, even you who are, are finding yourself being disciplined by God, you know this is good. This is real good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for loving me, for holding me accountable, for stirring me up. And Pastor Pete gives us this last chapter. Chapter one, he encouraged us to add to our salvation and to keep growing and to not slack off. Chapter two, he warned us. He said, guys, look out. Everything out there is not okay. There's some traps. There's some landmines. There's some liars, false prophets, false teachers, and heretics and heresies. We need to keep reminding ourselves of that. We live in a pluralistic world where the world we live in wants everything to be okay. There's got to be a way to justify everything. Can't we just justify everything? Can't we just take the edge off some things? Can't we minimize? Can't we just soften the blow? When the Lord says sin kills, it just does. The wages of sin is? It's death. Well, I just want a little death today. What? You know, nobody orders a little death off the menu. And yet we tend to bargain with sin that way, don't we? Well, I don't want to go full-blown death, but I'll just take a little bit on the side, you know. And here's what the Bible says. God is not mocked. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. God loves us right where we're at. He's forgiven us from our sin. The Bible actually says if you're a Christian, God has chosen to forget your sinfulness. Trip out. Just trip. He, I, don't, he, he's, I can't even look at you if I think about that stuff. So I've chosen to look at you through my son's blood and my son's righteousness. You're forgiven. You're going to heaven. It's a done deal. You are marching toward heaven. However, equally in that same vein of truth is parallel truth that the wages of sin is death. That if you act like a fool and if you do silly things and if you minimize and compromise and rationalize acts of the flesh, if that's what you do, if you buy into heresies and do weird stuff, you're, you're going to heaven if you're a Christian. But your light will be snuffed out down here. Your joy will be robbed. Your effectivity just like when righteous Lot, that righteous Lot, the preacher of righteousness living in Sodom and Gomorrah, went to warn his sons-in-laws of the coming doom. And he said, guys, it's going to get bad. Things are coming. We need to get out. And they laughed at him. He had lost all of his spiritual authority. Was he saved? Is he in heaven? Trip out. He sure is. Lot? Lot? Yet his life was a mess. And so Peter tells us, guys, God loves you. Keep going. Chapter two, be careful, though. There's some things that are going to make your life less spectacular, less than what God intended for you. Like the hero Samson, a judge of Israel in the book of Judges. And God raised him up prophetically through his mom before he was even born with prophecies over his life and instructions how to live and how to succeed. And Samson, he was a he-man with a she weakness. He found himself being taken advantage of by his own carnality and sin. And, and you know his story. He was bound. And, and then he was blinded. And then they put him out to pastures that he grinded the wheat. That's what he did in his life. Peter wants you and I to understand God's agenda, what God is doing that we might walk through this world with, listen, one eye on the prize, okay? And one eye on the plow. Watching and working. 
watching and working. Watching, and now don't just watch and stop working. That's not good for anybody. And don't just work without watching. You're gonna become a weirdo, a legalist. Don't just work, don't just watch, but watch and work at the same time. And while you watch for the Lord's return and work and find yourself engaged in the ministry of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 6 says we have been given the ministry, 2 Corinthians 5, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. That means we're to reconcile men and women to each other and men and women to God. What's God doing right now? What's the big idea? What's our focus to be? Peter tells us that in his final closing chapter. Would you bow your heads and let's just pray as we read some scriptures together. Father, in Jesus' name, now we thank you, we love you, we adore you, we applaud you, we need you. And it's so good to be alive. So good to be breathing right now. This is the air that we breathe, your, your very breath within us. And I pray in Jesus' name that you would use your word, Lord, to quicken us, to remind us, to encourage us, and may we be kingdom people awaiting your return, proclaiming your death until we see you in the sky. Overwhelm and overcome our weaknesses, Lord. Forgive us of our sins, and may we grow to be more like you even this day. We ask all this, Lord, for your glory and for others' good. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said? Amen. Amen. Let's pick up in verse 11. Peter will give us now, in closing, three therefores. This is his conclusion. First one, verse 11. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, that's the earth and everything we know and the works therein, what manner of persons ought you to be, he tells us, in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. It's going to be right. Verse 14, second, therefore, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation as also our beloved Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you as also in all of his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which some things are hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of scriptures. Last, therefore, is in verse 17. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen and amen. Peter points our eyes and our agenda and our attention and our focus upwards, that we might be heavenly-minded in this world. You ever met somebody that's so heavenly-minded, they're just a little bit obnoxious? Let's just be honest. Let's not be over-religious, you know? You ever met somebody just like, man, they're all about the things of God, all about the kingdom of God, and you're talking about the Oregon Ducks, you're talking about the Oregon State Beavers, you're talking about fishing, you're talking about golfing, and they just start pushing scriptures down your throat, you're like, wow, 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 you know? Talking about your hobbies and your habits and your things, and they just have, you ever met somebody so heavenly-minded they're no earthly good? Okay, there's a balance there. There's a balance there. I would say this, though. Until you are heavenly-minded... 
you can't be of any earthly good. Because until you're heavenly minded, you're gonna take a whole lot things a whole lot less seriously until you're heavenly minded. Once you're heavenly minded, the things of this world aren't gonna plague you. They're not gonna knock you over. They're not gonna take your entire joy and energy and attention every day. Until you become heavenly minded, you really can't be any earthly good. As a matter of fact, Colossians chapter three. I'm gonna read it to you. It says, if then you were raised with Christ, that's a big question, are you? Are you a Christian? He says, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Stop right there. Eyes up here. Paul tells us, Peter tells us, stay focused on heaven. That way your journey on earth is beneficial. That way you know what's going on. One eye on the heaven, waiting and watching, and one eye on the work that is who you are and what God's called you to be and what God's called you to do. Because when you know that the kingdom of God is coming, when you know that the kingdom of man is temporary, you truly will take a whole lot less, a whole lot less seriously. You won't be tipped over by so many things. Man, aren't you glad the Olympics are over? And what I mean by that is, is we won. Did you guys notice that? America won. We won the Olympics. Praise the Lord. Last night, my kids went to bed on edge. Dad, are we going to win the Olympics? You know, and we were down 36 medal count, 36 gold, and China had 38 golds. And overall medal count, we were dominating, but we needed two more golds to tie and three to win. And the women's basketball team dominated the, Jap- the team from Japan, and we won a gold medal. And we had a woman cyclist win a gold medal, and a- another boxer at midnight. I wasn't up for that, but he won the gold medal, and, and we won the Olympics. And, oh, yes, yes, yes. But does it really matter? Is, I mean, to my kids, it does, but they're just kids. And to their dad, it matters a little bit, too, let's be honest. My kids are at home watching right now. Like, Dad, don't throw us under the bus like that. Like, you're the one who told us to watch the Olympics. And these things, we take out, once we know the program and the agenda of the Lord. Look at verse 11. He says, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Peter's giving instruction to people, knowing that this world's temporary. It's not going to last forever. If it were going to last forever, if this is the only world we got, we needed to make sure it never falls apart and make sure we correct climate change and make sure we don't overpopulate and make sure all these big agendas that are temporal and horizontal, if that was the idea, then we'd be in trouble. But God says, hey, it's all going to dissolve. Now, don't be a dum-dum, okay? Make sure you recycle. Okay, don't be a dum-dum, but it's all going to dissolve. That, then what manner of persons ought we to be? Because I really want you to know Peter's heart here. Because Peter and the boys at one point looked at Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, are you going to fix everything here now? Now now that you've risen from the dead, now that you've conquered the cross in our sin, are you going to make it all right? Are you going to fix the climate change? Are you going to fix the viruses? Are you going to fix the global pandemic? Are you going to take out the Romans? Are you going to do all this? And Jesus said, no. That's all in the Father's hands. But he gave us his agenda there in Acts chapter 1. He told us what we were to be like. He said, you are going to receive power. You're going to change and go be witnesses. That's the twofold agenda of the Lord. Right now, do you know what God is up to? He's growing character in you. That's his number one concern. (laughs) What about character in all these other guys, Lord? There's a bunch of bozos living next to me, you know. 
And the Lord says, that's not my problem. You're my problem. Have you figured this out? This is going to change everything for you. God wants you to receive power and to be a different person. And you might right now be celebrating the fact you're not the person you were 20 years ago. Praise God. Okay? You might also accidentally be celebrating the fact you're not the person you could be if you just went cray-cray. Like, if you went cuckoo. You ever do that? Well, I could be worse. I could be worse. Like, what, what argument is that? But instead, the Lord says, I want you to grow in a Christian character and godliness. Knowing that these things are going to dissolve, what manner ought you to be in godliness and holiness? Now, Christian, just grab onto that for a second, because you've got all kinds of people you're mad at, all kinds of things that are in your way, all kinds of stuff that's bothering you out there. And the Lord says, not your problem. That's not your problem. You're your problem. And if you focus on who you are and what God wants, if you focus on your own Christianity, your own spirituality, your own holiness and godliness, your own witness, if you just, man, I just, Lord, all these other people, that's, woo, that's a big deal right there. But Lord, I'm going to focus on you. I'm going to be like Christ. I'm going to reflect the glory of God. I'm going to walk in the love of God. I'm going to, I'm going to do these things. I'm not going to be agitated, and I'm not going to be tipped over by the things that they do and their deficiencies and their inadequacies. I'm going to look at my own deficiencies and inadequacies, and I'm going to take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to be more like you, less like myself. Let's go. If every Christian did that, instead of walking around with our sin-sniffing detectors on, <laughs> looking at the big bad government and big bad people. Guys, I want you to understand Peter's heart because he's been mistaken before. He's trying to throw other people under the bus. Peter one time tried to throw the rest of the disciples under the bus. He said, hey, what about all these other guys? They're, they're going to desert you. I, I would never do that. And he was so confused. Peter himself actually came up short and he tried to quit on the Lord. He tried to leave the Lord. He tried to quit the ministry. And Jesus said, no, Peter. Peter knew his father's heart. His pastor's heart. I heard a story recently of a man who was approaching his death, and tr true story, and as this guy knew he was going to die, he was a grandfather, and so he took the time to meet with all of his kids one at a time. And he met with them, he talked with them, he prayed with each one of his kids, and he met and prayed and talked with each one of his grandkids. He knew his time was short, he prayed with them. He actually went on to record some videos that they would have in posterity after he left, and they'd be able to watch these videos of instruction. This man, as he was approaching his death, he was caring for the people around him, wanting them to be cared for even after he was gone. The story as it goes along, he went on to then take care of all of the bills at the house and all of the to-do lists and all the things that needed to be and all the finances. He took all of his passcodes and all the things and he put them all in order so his wife would have those and took care of everything. He ordered even the oil changes for the car for the next two years, paid for them in advance and scheduled them out, just take care of everything. As the story goes, he even found himself calling the flower shop before he died, and he ordered flowers for his wife on the day that he died. Flowers showed up with a handwritten note from him. Every anniversary for the rest of his wife's life, she got flowers with a handwritten note. Caring for his wife, caring for his kids. And Peter here is caring for the church. When he says these things, he's caring for us, even in his absence. Just as Jesus, I'm going away. Take care of the sheep. I love you. I want you to do well. I want you to know you're cared for. He's got that type of heart. And so when he tells you, hey, what manner of person ought you to be, knowing these things are going to dissolve and be melted with fervent heat? And he tells us God's agenda is twofold. Growing your character and saving souls alive. Because everything's going to burn, that's going to be our main focus. 
This is going to help. How many of you guys got to-do lists? You guys got to-do lists at your house? We all have to-do lists. We have, we, have, we have three different types of to-do lists. We got the short list, we got the medium list, and the long list. Okay, the short list is like what I got to do today. Like, all right, right leg out the bed, boom, you know. Left leg, follow suit, boom, you know, it's a short list. Like, go down the stairs, use the handrail, don't fall, you know, all these things and coffee and, and, and you know, take the trash out and the short list. Then you got the medium list. These are things you got to get done before the end of summer. Like, we got to make sure and get that and get that email. And then you got the long list. Okay, the long list is re-roof the house or refinance the house or buy a house or, you know, pay off your debt or you got the, we all have all these lists compartmentalized and that's good. We should have lists. We should have goals. We should have agendas. God has a to-do list also. And Peter tells us what that to-do list is. God has an agenda. And his agenda is primarily twofold. Saving people and then changing those people he's saved. That's what God is up to. And so when you look around your life, you're going to ask God from time to time, Lord, what are you doing right now? What's going on in my life right now? This isn't very fun. I'm not having a good time. I feel like I'm being changed. I feel like I'm being tested. I feel like some things are being pulled out of me and I'm being, as my pastor used to put it, I'm being pulled through a knothole backwards. He'd been pulled through a knothole backwards two or three times in his life. Maybe even more now. He, he just retired a couple weeks ago. I'm so proud of him, Mark Anderson. He's still serving as pastor emeritus there at the Ashton Christian Fellowship and Cody Smith now leading the helm. And, and yet I've watched him as he's gone through life. We attended his daughter's funeral a couple years ago. Been through so much. And don't you sometimes wonder, Lord, this isn't part of the plan, right? <laughs> Lord, what's the, uh, I got my to-do list, and my to-do list and your to-do list, they don't match, Lord. And the Lord says, I'm working on your Christian character. I really think this is revolutionary. Because again, most of you probably aren't as bad as you used to be. You're definitely not as bad as you could be. But God's, God has you right, you're alive right now. Why? Why am I alive right now? Because the Lord's, he's, he's, he's fine-tuning you. He's fine-tuning you. That's a good thing, by the way. It's a good thing when the coach or the teacher or the supervisor comes to you and says, hey, I see you and I love you. I'm committed to you. You're part of the team. You're part of the family. But I want to work, I want to pour into you so you become e even better at what you do. Don't you love it when, when a coach or a, a boss recognizes you, embraces you, and then gives you instruction to even be better? Verse 11, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Being like God, what's God doing? He's saving people. He's already told us in verse nine that God is not slack, he's not slow, he's not impatient. What's God doing? He wants nobody to perish. The people you work with, the people you live next to, the people you don't like that much, God loves them and died for them and wants them saved, just in case you're wondering what's on his to-do list, in case you wanna know his heart towards them. I keep praying for my neighbor every single day and they still haven't moved. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He said, no, don't pray for your neighbor that way, man. Verse 12, he says, looking for. Verse 14, he says, therefore, beloved, looking forward. This idea of looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness will. Let's just stop right, let's make sure we at least touch this. Verse 11 and 12, or 12 and 13 are heavy. 
I'm going to read verse 13 or 12 again. It says, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. We talked about that last week. Because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Stop right there and ask is that just a little bit scary to anybody else but me? Like you read that, you're like, okay, we're doing Sunday school, first graders. We're going to go to first, second Peter chapter three. It's going to be great, you know. You tell all the kids everything's going to burn up. Everything's going to melt. You show the clip from Indiana Jones and the, the whole, you know, the Lost Crusaders. And you, you don't do that. You, you know, it's like, oh, this is kind of crazy. Look at what he says in verse 13. Nevertheless. And it's as if he's addressing these kind of questions we have. Because if you don't have questions, then you're probably just not paying attention or you're, not, or, or you're lying to me. Like, you should, it's okay to have questions. Troy Hart in the back there, he came up and he's like, hey, just, just kind of give me the rundown one, one more time about the, the, the end of days. How's it going to go? The, 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 and, I, and I broke it down for him real quick. The, the rapture of the church is what we're going to see next. God's going to call up his bride. He's going to rescue us from the pending doom and judgment that's coming to a God-forsaken, sinful, rebellious world. And for seven years, the book of Revelation tells us, chapters 6 through 19, details the tribulation that's going to be poured out on planet Earth. The church is not mentioned one time at all in chapters 6 through 19. Never mentioned because the church isn't there. The church is in heaven with God. During that time, people will be in safe. Seven years in heaven with God. Seven years on earth, a judgment time. And then the beginning of the reign and return of Jesus Christ. He will come with his saints on a white horse, sword out of his mouth. He's going to take his enemies out. Those who give their lives to him will be saved. And that will begin the thousand-year millennial reign where you and I will reign with him on planet Earth and we'll put back together planet Earth that has been taken out by the seven-year tribulation and we'll rebuild, I believe, planet Earth for a 1,000 years. At the end of a 1,000 years, Satan will be released one more time to give those people who were born during that time a choice. You like Jesus, you see Jesus, you see the church, you have to be saved by faith just like the rest of us. You have to have a choice. Satan will be released. Some will fall even in that. You got questions? So do I. Satan then after that will be bound forever and ever, and this will begin the beginning of a new heaven and a new earth. God will make all things new. That's the general timeline. And if you don't have questions, it's because you're, again, lying. And if you do have fears, it's because you're normal. Look again at verse... 13, nevertheless, in, in, in addressing these things, listen, we according to his promise look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. God is good all the time and all the time God is good. All these things will be dissolved. Everything will be melted because everything here on planet earth right now is broken and it's getting worse daily, yearly, and annual. It's getting worse. And God is going to restart. He knows what he's doing. And it is a promise. It's something that's out of your responsibility. And God has taken it into his responsibility. You ever made a promise towards your kids as, as, as an adult? You ever borne the responsibility as an adult for the adult things? You tell your kids, I got this. With confidence. And then you do what needs to be done to make sure it gets done right. That's what we do as parents. Nevertheless, we look to this new heaven and new earth and the promise of God. Listen, here's, here's the good part. Where righteousness dwells. It's going to be right. It's going to be good. All tears wiped away. All hurts healed. All sin eradicated. All darkness illuminated. All bad gone. All good given. It's going to be right. You who've lived just a little bit and been in the battle for longer than others, you know this world is pain-filled. It's difficult. It's dark. And God says, yeah, I got a plan. And you and I who hold on to that promise, the blessed hope of his appearing we have this promise. Look at verse 14. Therefore, the second therefore that Peter gives to us. Therefore, beloved, 
looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. What does he say? Look for the return of Christ. Because in looking for the return of Christ, you too will be found without spot and blameless in your actions. Have you guys found this to be true? When you live those days doing the Lord's work, waiting for the Lord's kingdom, being about the Lord's business, those are such fun days. You're aware of his thereness and, man, what's going to happen? And when we have that hope of his return, we purify ourselves. But have you ever had those days where you as a Christian forget that the Lord is coming? Have you ever as a Christian pretended that the Lord is not coming and can't see what you're doing? Have you fallen for that yet? Raise your hands. No, I'm just kidding. We've all fallen for that. We've lived that way. Like, oh, the Lord's not coming today. The Lord can't see me. Guess what? He could have came at that moment, and he did see you. And so within this, listen to what he says. Verse 14, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. Let's just go ahead and wrestle with these words. Because a lot of us aren't living in perfect peace right now. Peter exhorts us and instructs us, be diligent to be found in peace. Some of us have your your peaceometer. Anybody have a peaceometer? Okay, just kind of your your, your knower, your heart. And your your peaceometer starts going off and pegging at the wrong end of the spectrum. And you're full of anxiety and fear. Whenever I'm full of anxiety and fear, usually I have to stop myself and say, okay, what's going on? What's, What's going on? Whose fault is it? Usually it's my fault. And I have to adjust and bring some things to the Lord and let him cleanse it and fix it. But sometimes it's your guys' fault. Sometimes you guys do it. And sometimes it's their fault. Sometimes there's no one to blame. And, and he says, hey, I want you to be diligent to be found in peace and blameless and spotless. Now, blameless does not mean innocent by way of action. Wouldn't it be crazy if he said, hey, make sure you don't blow it? Wouldn't that be the worst salvation plan ever? is if Jesus died for your sins. Can you imagine if Jesus died for your sins, suffered in your place, rose victoriously, and gave you a brand new report card, straight A's, and said, you have now been forgiven of all your sins. Don't blow it. <laughs> what? Yeah, no way. Like, immediately, you fail the class. Like, what? Boom, you're done. <laughs> but the Bible says he's gone into our past and forgiven our past sins, which no one can do. You, you can't even forgive your past sins. He, only he can. He expunges them from your record. And he gives you grace for your present sins, and he actually goes into the future and makes provision for your future sins. The only way you can be presented to him spotless and without blame and in perfect peace is to know that positionally you are in Christ Jesus. You're in him. As a matter of fact, you could read verse 14, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him or by him in peace. In your King James Version, it says of him or in, it's your righteousness is in Christ alone. Let me use an illustration. I'll read to you out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul talking to the church at Corinth, the, the, the church gone wild, by the way, they were crazy. They were like our 6 p.m. service here at South Beach Church. And it says in verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Again, verse 17, he tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. I'll use an illustration. I've got this little envelope here. 
and it has my name written on it, and there's a letter inside, and, and, and I've opened it up. It's torn. I've opened it and read it. I've, I've read it more than once. I've read it two or three times, and there's some ink on the letter, and it's, it's marred. It's not perfect. There's some things in it, and actually, the, the letter, believe it or not, is actually filled with some difficulty. It's actually filled with some pain. It's actually filled with some stories of, of hurt. It's actually filled with some accusations, so, some things towards me that I, I keep reading. I'm like, oh, man, I let somebody down. I hurt someone's feelings. And there's some things in this that are painful for me. And so I keep it right here in my Bible. And I'm going to address this letter later this week. You can pray, pray for your pastor. And it's right here in this letter. But as I close this letter that has, it's not perfect. It's torn. It's marred. It's got some stuff in it and some heaviness. And as I close it in my Bible, it's no longer visible. It's in here. It's been encapsulated by my Bible. And if I said to you, what's this? You would say, that's your Bible. And I would say, oh, but there's some stuff going on in there. Some dirt, you know, some things. But it's hidden in my Bible. You who are in Christ, you've got your stuff, don't you? You're not perfect. You've dropped the ball. There's some tears in your life. There's some things that you've done wrong. Some areas where you've offended others or others have offended you. And you're well aware of those and they're not even made up. They're true. And yet in Christ, you are hidden. In Where's your peace come from right now? Now, don't get me wrong. I love good days. Don't you love the good days? Where you wake up right, your coffee's working, your spouse is working. That's funny. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Kids are working. It's all working. Don't those days great? That satanic marine layer's kept offshore to at least three. Just a good day. You just feel good. But there's other days where the coffee's not working, and spouse is not working, you're not working, kids aren't working. And if you're like me, you struggle with your peaceometer. You don't have peace. Where's my peace at? Where's my peace? Our peace is found in him. All things are made new. Everything old has passed away. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he says, be diligent to be found in him in peace, spotless and blameless. This is a, it's a mindset more than anything else. Where I'm trusting the Lord. I'm walking with him. I'm, but there takes a diligence, doesn't there? Be diligent. Don't let up on these things. Keep getting after it. This is his second therefore. Therefore, beloved, I love you guys. Be diligent. Verse 14 says, looking forward to these things. Guys, as we look forward, as we have this, this planning, like, like I said, I'm, I'm doing a lot of weddings and, and when I do weddings, I do premarital counseling, and then we do some ceremony planning, and, and we're always looking forward to the event. And, and what I do with most of my couples is we, we, they pick a date, and then we count down, and I always ask the couple, how many days until your wedding? They say, oh, 40, 45 more days. I say, cool. Well, I want you to do this. I want you to read Psalm 45 tonight together. And then tomorrow, I want you to read Psalm 44. It's the countdown. It's the psalmatic digression where we're counting down the days. We're looking forward to the day. And we're getting the Bible in between us. And we're reading the Psalms and worshiping. And we're counting down, looking forward to the day. And there's planning and all this stuff. And have you ever noticed, though, how much planning goes into a wedding? Kind of depends on the, the bride's temperament, I suppose. You're laughing. But no matter how, this is crazy, no, no, this is crazy. No matter how much planning, you can have a year countdown. People get engaged a year out or two years out, but the day of, you would have guests that they decided to get married an hour ago. You ever been to a wedding before and the stress levels and everyone's freaking out and where's the bridesmaid and where's the flower girl and where's the pastor? I'm usually there on time. Where's everybody at? 
And all the planning, and Peter says, guys, listen, I have a purpose for that illustration. He says, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things. What, what things? God's timeline. God's agenda. There's no reason why you and I should be caught off guard. There's no reason why you and I should not know what's going on. I mean, I get to weddings sometimes, like, where's the, where's the groomsmen? They're, they ain't here yet. I'm like, what are you talking about? They're not here yet, you know. They're at, the, they're at the store, whatever. It's like, there's no reason. And at the day of, usually the night before, we do the rehearsal. And then I ask that hard question. I said, okay, does everyone know where you're supposed to be tomorrow? And everyone starts stressing out. Like, okay, we're getting photos at this time. We're going to be here. We're going to be there. And I just kind of step back in the shadows and let them deal with it. I want to make sure they all know where they're supposed to be. What's the agenda of God? What's the timeline of God? What's the heart of God? He tells us right now what the heart of God is. Look at verse 15. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation is also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, is written to you. Peter's such an evangelist. I love reading the book of Acts. You see Peter, he's in Jerusalem, he's in Caesarea. Then he starts going all over the place. He's just, he's all over. He's on the coastline, he's in Joppa, where Jonah was. He's, he's all over the place. And everywhere he goes, he's always reaching out to people, whether it's a bunch of people or, or one person. And he loves men, he loves women, he loves to evangelize and loves to share. And so he tells us in verse 16 here, he says, verse 15, he says, and consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. Why is God so patient? Why does God ask me to be patient? Why has this not budged at work yet? Why has this not budged in my family yet? Why is this person still next to me or near to me, Lord? What's going on? And the Lord says, I want them saved. That's what I'm doing. It's the only reason why you exist. It's the only reason why they're still alive, so I can save people. I am doing one of two things at all times, God would say to you. I'm saving people. That's what I'm doing. And when I'm not saving people, I'm working character into you. That's all I'm doing. But Lord, have you seen my to-do list? I got some real cool projects at the house. We're going to put a new fence up. And the Lord said, it's going to burn. It's going to be great. Do it. Lord, we're going to go get new cars this week. Cool, get them. They're going to burn. It's going to be awesome. We got all these, and all, these, all those things. We do all those things, okay? To the glory of God. It's okay. What's God doing? He's working character into you, and he's saving people. Consider. Peter uses this word of musing, understanding, wrestling with and grappling with why you exist, why people are still alive. Consider this, that the Lord right now, his long-suffering, salvation. And he goes on, and he says, as even our brother, beloved Paul, has written to you. Isn't that cool? You Bible students, tune in. This is really important. Peter, here at the end of his letter, throws and drops a name, the Apostle Paul, in his last letter. He drops Paul's name, and he says, just like Paul, everything he writes to you is about salvation too. Did you guys know that? Did you guys figure that out? If you haven't read Paul's letters, if you have read Paul's letters, you know this. Paul would say in Romans chapter one, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all those who believe. Everything Paul wrote about, as a matter of fact, Paul is the greatest expositor and teacher and communicator about the things and the ways of salvation as it pertains to the New Testament. Most of his letters include somewhere in there how God saved through the nation of Israel and through the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and through the gospel given to the Gentiles, the world. Always in Paul's letters, he talks about this. And here Peter gives us this understanding that, guys, just in case you wonder, because a lot of people read Paul's letters, they read the gospel, they read the Old Testament trying to find out some other purpose in life. And God says, no, the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation, just as Paul told you. That's what God's doing right now. The person you bought your car from, the person that you paid to put up your fence, the person you buy your groceries from, God loves them. He wants them saved. You're saved? Oh, cool. 
He sent you as his ambassador, as his hands and his feet, as his reconciler, to give to them the ministry of salvation. Consider, verse 15, that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to his wisdom given to him, is written to you. Stop right there, eyes up here. You, you Bible students know this. Paul and Peter had an interesting relationship, didn't they? they? They weren't necessarily best buds, let's just be honest. When Peter came to visit Paul one time, Peter came to the Gentile community and found grace in the Gentile community and began to fellowship with them, eating some hot dogs and some sausage and trying some BLTs. And he was hanging out there at the non-kosher table. And the Bible says that when the Jews came up to visit, Paul stopped doing that, or Peter stopped doing that. He started having his kosher meal again. And Peter, Paul had to, Peter, Paul, Paul had to rebuke Peter to his face and say, bro, why are you being a hypocrite? We're either saved by grace and grace alone or or work. What is, what is it? And And he rebuked him. And here, and, and, and Paul threw Peter under the bus, and here Peter kind of gives a subtle jab too. Look at this subtle jab, look at verse 16. As also in all of his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of scriptures. He, Peter's funny here. He says, Paul, man, that guy's beloved. He's our brother. What's he talking about when he writes? He's talking about salvation. His letters, they're kind of hard to understand, let's be honest. That's, that's funny to me. And people even take his scriptures and twist them as they do the rest of scriptures. A lot is happening here in these verses. I just want to kind of connect the dots for you who are thinking still. Peter gives Paul a shout out and says, Paul is my friend. Paul's different. Paul's writings are hard to understand. People are going to twist his scriptures just as they do the rest of scripture. And so what Peter is showing us is that what Paul wrote is indeed the scriptures. There is a debate out there. You probably won't come into anybody, but there is a debate with some that the writers of the New Testament didn't know they were writing the New Testament. They did. The rest of scripture, Paul knew. Paul had spent 13 years with Jesus Christ. The revelations he was given when he wrote those letters, it was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and it is the Bible as we know it. Peter says, "Those, those letters of Paul, That's what I want you guys to focus on. That's where I want you guys to go. As a matter of fact, next week, we're going to be reading the letters of Paul. Paul wrote four letters from a prison cell. They're called the Pauline epistles, the the prison letters of Paul. Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon and Philippians. We've already studied through the book of Ephesians, so next week, we're going to begin Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to learn from Paul. That's what Peter said to do. Peter said, hey, I want you guys to learn from Paul, because Paul knew God. He knew the gospel. People twist Paul's letters, but it's still from Jesus. And this is what I want you guys to be aware of. By the way, let me just say this. Peter and Paul, very different people, rowing in the same boat for the same cause. Anybody here different than the person sitting next to you? I'll just go ahead and nod for you. You're you're all different. And you're all gifted and equipped differently. And it's beautiful. I love... This morning, I got to church about 7.30 or so, something like that, and I was sitting up here jamming, uh, doing rehearsal, and, and people started showing up one at a time, and they started doing stuff. And I'm just sitting up here, you know, watching. And people started doing stuff and brewing coffee and stocking things and moving things around. And, and it was so fun to watch the body of Christ in action. And then people showed up at 8.30, and we prayed, and people showed up and got things set up. And you're going to leave here now in the body of Christ. Peter's and Paul's, a bunch of different people. Peter, Paul, and Mary. Some Marys out there too, and some Marthas. And God's gifted you and equipped you. Guys, let's, let's finish up with some thoughts. You therefore, final, final therefore, he gives a warning and an exhortation. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. We'll start with a warning and then we'll end with an exhortation. 
Peter says, be careful, guys. Don't be led astray. He ends finally by saying, grow in grace. You have two choices today. You can either grow in grace or you can drift in error. Those are the two choices. There is no middle ground in Christianity. You're either growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You're becoming a better Christian, a better man, a better woman, or you are not and you are drifting slowly off your path into the air of wickedness. That's what he says. Most people don't set out in one day to ruin their lives. I'm just going to wake up and ruin my life today. Hey, honey, let's go ruin our lives. Let's do it. Let's, let's do it. Let's ruin our lives and get into this thing, this compromise, this area. But instead, we're led astray slowly but surely. Just like in growing in grace, please listen, growing in grace is slow but sure. How many of you guys want to grow super, super fast in the things of God? Just raise your hand, be honest with me. Like, there's my, there's my speedy people. Like, oh, let's do it. You know, there's no such thing. There's no such thing. Just like none of us are going to drift into chaos and calamity and corruption super fast, it's going to be slow. Pick a path. And maybe you're like me and you're on the trajectory, you're on the path of righteousness. I want to grow in the grace of God. And sometimes you get frustrated. Sometimes you get depressed. Sometimes you, you, I thought I'd be a lot farther than I am right now. I thought I'd know something. I can't believe I'm still dealing with this issue. I can't believe this is still coming up in my life. And yet God says to you, grow. And how do you grow? Time. Sun. Water. Repeat. Time, sun, water, repeat. Yesterday I went to a friend of mine's house and here it's actually his property and he's developing this property and, and I was there when, when, he, when he bought it. It's a bunch of acres and when he bought it, it was, I, I couldn't envision it. It was like just a bunch of salal and trees and, and he's just been chipping away at it all summer long and I showed up yesterday with my son. I looked around, I was like, this is crazy. It's a full-on development. There's roads and there's infrastructure and there's things. And, 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 I guarantee, and he's there just tinkering away. How did it happen? Slow but sure. Can I encourage you, Christian? This is the final thought for today. We've got people coming at the 11 a.m., early birds. <laughs> Fired up. It's not daylight savings day, is it? Did I miss something? Anyways. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. It's God's goodness towards you, unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. Please get this through your, your, your mind. God loves you right where you're at, not because you're lovable, but because he's love. And he'll give you the resources and the wealth of heaven because that's what he does. Shells it out. He shells it out. Grace, grace, grace. Grow in the grace and knowledge. That's where we respond to God's grace of Jesus Christ. Notice he didn't say, now grow in devotion. Now grow in holiness. Now grow in discipline. If he would have said any one of those, I would have underlined it and highlighted it and memorized it. Like, oh, crud, you know. I got to do it. Knowing, though, that grace leads to devotion. Grace leads to discipline. Grace leads to holiness. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 says that the grace of God has been poured out on all mankind, and it teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. Titus 2, 11. Rem memorize it. When God graces you, it changes your life again and again and again and again. And when God meets you in your mess and meets you in your mistake and he meets you in your smallness and you get graced again, you move forward and you become more like him, more into him, more aware of him, more aware of the things that God is doing in your life. And it's grace. It's grace. 
Grace isn't just the starting point. Grace is the only point. Grace is the point that works. Grace changes everything. Grace is the last verse in the book of Revelation. It's the last verse in 2 Timothy to Paul, his very final letter. It's the last thing Peter says is grace. He commissions us to his grace. When Barnabas got to Caesarea, he commissioned the church to grace. Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. It'll change you. It'll heal you. It'll grow you. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, in Jesus' name, we ask now that you would grow us in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. And Lord, would we take Peter's words seriously as a father, as a pastor, as a grandpa, caring for us even in his absence, making provisions for us that we would know what we're to do. And I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, for a simplicity at South Beach Church and those watching online, that we'd be a simple church full of grace. We'd give ourselves grace. We'd give others grace. Like it says in Colossians 2, how'd you get saved by grace? Well, then walk that way. Walk in the same way you got saved, by grace, by grace, by grace. Keep us, Lord, from the error of the wicked. Maybe there's somebody here who's stumbling around and being led astray. Would you, in Jesus' name, wake us up, forgive us, Help us to keep pedaling, not to drift. Maybe you're drifting right now and you just need to stop drifting. You need to start applying grace. If that's you or not, if you're drifting right now, you're where you don't want to be and you, you need that punch to the face of truth, would you just nod your head right now to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't want to drift. Lord, I don't want to drift into error. Maybe you're at home, just receive that and repent. Lord, I don't want to drift, but I want to receive your grace. If that's you, if you want the grace of Jesus Christ in your life, would you just right now, believer, non-believer, first-time believer, raise up your hand right now if you need God's grace in your life. You want God's grace to lead you and to teach you. Grow us in your grace, Lord. My hands are up, both hands. I need your grace. Would you bless us, Lord? Bless this church, Lord. Bless all the events this week. We thank you so much for all you've done and all you're gonna do. We commit our lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen.